ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Chris Hadnagy's job is to break into banks. But he's not after money, gold or jewels. He's hunting for information. And he doesn't use weapons or threats of violence to get past security and into vaults. He uses a smile and a few tricks from his tool bag of psychology and social engineering techniques. This is one example of how it works. If somebody gives you a compliment, you usually compliment them back. If someone gives you a gift, you want to re-gift and give them a gift back. When we give somebody something, they feel indebted to us. And that feeling of indebtedness makes them want to give us something. It's hard to believe you can simply slip past some of the toughest security on the planet. Banks, energy facilities, multinational corporations. But for Chris and others in his industry, social engineering, it's part of everyday life. Not that it doesn't come with some confronting complications. The parking lots were being secured by armed guards on dirt bikes. So these guys are on dirt bikes in full body armor with sawed-off shotguns at the side of their dirt bike. You're listening to All in the Mind, I'm Sana Kadar. Today, an episode from our archives. Producer James Bullen dives into the world of social engineering and finds out which psychology principles it builds upon and which personality traits can make you easier to engineer. Chris Hadnagy always had a knack for influencing people. When I was younger, you know, I didn't know what it was, but I always found myself in these crazy circumstances, like one of the big things, getting jobs that I had no right getting. I, I remember becoming a chef by literally walking into a restaurant that had a help wanted sign for a chef out. And I became an assistant chef by walking up to the guy and saying, let me cook you something. And he's like, well, what credentials do you have? I'm like, you don't need credentials when you can cook good. And he kind of laughed and he says, go ahead. I cooked him a dish and he hired me. Simple, right? But then Chris had to actually cook. He had a trick up his sleeve, though, something that's come in handy quite a few times since. And I remember the first time he said to me, hey, um, I want you to julienne these carrots. I was sweating bullets because I had no clue what julienne meant. So I said, hey, listen, Bob, uh, everybody juliennes things different. I want to make sure I get it to your perfection. Just show me one and then I'll do it your way. I'll mimic you. And he showed me. And I did that every time he mentioned something that I didn't know. I would say, hey, Bob, just show me how to do this your way. And that's the way I learned how to become a chef. So later on in life, when I started doing this, I looked back at all those experiences and realized, yeah, I kind of always been a social engineer, but just didn't know what I was doing. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the science and psychology behind it until much later in my life. After a series of odd jobs, Chris's knack for computing landed him in the world of hackers and a burgeoning industry of testing both the digital and physical security of companies. The way it worked was the security employed by a business would hire Chris to try and break into their building or talk his way past security in order to see what holes they had and how they could patch them up. It felt very much like the Wild West. You know, there was... There was just no real framework or rules, if I could say, again, you know, about it there. We were kind of figuring it out as we went. Those days were, were fascinating. At the same time, it became more well-known to practice social engineering and to try these type of things. So I did. And I could not believe how easy it was then. And I think part of it is that we didn't talk about it a lot. 
So people didn't know what phishing was or vishing was. They didn't understand that someone would actually try to do this to get in the company. So it made it easier for, for me to perform these type of tests and audits when somebody wasn't aware that they even existed. Phishing is where someone sends a fake email that aims to get the receiver to reveal some piece of sensitive information. Maybe it's a password or username or even something more innocuous like your date of birth. And vishing is voice phishing, the same techniques but using voice calls. The hacker can then use that information to attack you or try and break into your systems. The information that's discovered might also be used to build what's called a pretext. One of the best definitions I've ever heard of pretexting is pretexting is the story where you are the smallest detail. So nobody cares about Chris Hadnagy in a pretext and neither do I want you to. What I want you to focus on is the reason that I'm telling you I'm there. And that's the pretext. A good pretext is the basis of how Chris came to break into a bank with the help of his colleague, Ryan. That was an interesting one because we got hired by a company in the country of Jamaica and they asked us to come and do the break-in because they didn't have the internal team to do it. We decided to fly down there and, and do it and we did some OSINT and we found that the bank had just went through a PCI audit. OSINT is short for open source intelligence, things you can find freely without subterfuge like news clips or company reports. And PCI stands for Payment Card Industry. PCI audits are pretty routine in banking and finance. So we thought we would use the company that did their audit as part of our pretext. So I had shirts made that had the company name, business cards, all that stuff. And we were all prepared for this beautiful pretext. And then the first day we roll up on the first bank and park across the street just to kind of scope it out. And one thing that no one told us and we didn't find through OSINT was that the parking lots were being secured by armed guards on dirt bikes. So these guys are on dirt bikes in full body armor with sawed off shotguns at the side of their dirt bike. And this is, this is their security. So you know, there's a little moment of pause where you're like, okay, are we still gonna do this? Is this still the plan? Like, you know, what's gonna happen here? And we decided to go ahead with it. And then the, 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 the next part of the pretext was I hired a local guy, just a guy said, hey, I need you to go into this building. Here's 20 bucks. And I need you to ask the security guards about how you get a job there. I just need you to go in and have a conversation. And he's like, really? For 20 bucks? I'm like, yep, bam, done. He's in there having a conversation with the security guards. And we walk in and I put my phone up to my ear and I say, yeah, Jim, uh, we're here. We're going to come upstairs and finish the audit. No worries. We'll, we're walking up the steps now and security didn't even bat an eye. They just, they heard me on the phone. They're talking to that young guy and we were in the building. Now we walk upstairs and we round the corner and on my right is a door that says ATM testing center. So uh, a woman is walking right in front of us and she scans her badge and walks in the room and we follow her in. And she's startled, she turns around and she's like, excuse me. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. We were sent up here to finish the PCI audit. And she goes, oh, okay. And she just turns around and walks away. So Ryan and I are crawling inside of ATMs, taking pictures, you know, hacking the place. We spent about 25, 30 minutes in that room. And then we're like, hey, we got to go before we get caught. We walked out, walked down the hallway, and we see the call center through these glass doors. And the glass doors are locked with an RFID uh, badge scanner. 
So I start slowing down as I walk towards the door and, and trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And just the luck of the draw, this woman starts coming out from the inside uh, out there. And I rush over to the door and hold it open for her. I go, oh, let me get that for you. And I hold the door open for her, let her out. And then, bam, we both go in. In the call centre, they get a woman to put her password into a computer, still under the pretext that they're conducting an audit, and hack that too. Finally, a manager came up to us and said, hey, who's your contact and what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I can't remember his name. You know, we tried to talk our way out of it. And she goes, no, no, you're coming with me to security. So we go down to the security desk that we just walked past. And she said to the security guy, look, I caught these two guys. They don't know who their contact is. They're not supposed to be here. So the security guy goes, well, I saw you come in. And I'm like, yeah, we're here. I said, I can't remember, but let me call my guy and he can talk to you. Of course, the person Chris calls isn't a real contact, it's another accomplice, a local guy helping out on the job. And I said, hey, uh, look, this is uh, Paul over at the bank. We're doing that audit you asked us to come and do. Your security guard here needs your approval. And I'm just saying this, hoping that he'll catch on. And he's like, yes, please put him on the phone. So he gets on the phone and he mentions the name of the lead guy there. And he says to the security guard, yes, they're supposed to be there. Please let them go. So the security guard hangs up. He goes, okay, I got your approval. He's like, come with me. He unlocks the door. Bam, done. We hacked the whole bank. It almost seems too easy, but Christopher Hadnagy says that's the power of a good pretext. If I walked in and I said, hey, I'm here to do a PCI audit, but they did not just have one or they did not just complete it or they weren't in the midst of it. They may have looked at me and went, well, why? We didn't hire anyone to do that. Like, why are you here? And that makes a bad pretext. So although PCI and banking is a good pretext, in that case, it would have been bad because they weren't expecting it. But knowing that they just were completing their PCI audit, knowing the name of the company that they use for the audit, and then being able to come as that company and saying we were there to finish it up allowed for our story to be the detail that they focused on, not us. So they don't care that you know it's Chris and Ryan. They care about the detail being the audit and that we were there to finish it. So that means they can ignore who we are. Our faces become irrelevant. And this was important because we were in Jamaica, which is predominantly a black community, and we were like two white guys standing out. So it was important that our appearance would be the smallest detail and that we can explain it away. We're here from America finishing the PCI audit. A good pretext, what it does is it explains the reason for your existence in that location at that moment. And when you can explain that right, the person's brain can say, I accept this and I let you in. You're listening to All in the Mind on RN. I'm Sana Kadar. Today, hacking humans, the psychology of social engineering, and how the power of influence can be used for good and bad. Here's producer James Bullen again. After decades in the industry, Chris wrote a book pulling together the different social engineering techniques he's used in his line of work, drawing from psychology research and principles. It's called Human Hacking, Win Friends, Influence People, and Leave Them Better Off for Having Met You. One area he focuses on is the psychology of influence, how you might grease the wheels of social interaction in your favor. Dr. Robert Cialdini, he's an amazing author, an amazing social psychologist. He uh, wrote a book called Influence, 
where he defines scientifically six parts of the way we influence other people. And understanding these, it helps us to really be able to picture how psychology is used every day when we communicate with others. So like, let's talk about reciprocity. The simplest way to kind of imagine that is you and I don't know each other. We're both walking into the same building and there's a set of doors and I hold the door open for you more than likely. I mean, I would be doubtful if this would not happen, that you will open up the next set of doors for me. If somebody gives you a compliment, you usually compliment them back. If someone gives you a gift, you want to re-gift. The example of reciprocity helps us see that when we give somebody something, they feel indebted to us. And that feeling of indebtedness makes them want to give us something. So it could be a compliment. It can be a physical gift. It could be just a thought. Whatever it is, if we give it to a person, they feel warm and fuzzy about us and they want to give it back. Chris says the chemicals in our brain are part of the process here too. Oxytocin is just a a wonderful part of our chemistry, our brain chemistry. And what it does is it makes us feel rapport and trust with others. And it is released when someone makes you feel trusted, right? So it's not when you trust someone else. It's like when, if you feel that I trust you, if I say to you, James, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to give you something I haven't told anyone else. We're going to announce it on your radio show here it is. And I tell you, and you prove that it's true, that I'm not lying to you. I'm not just manipulating you. I actually gave you a secret. Your brain releases oxytocin and I'm your deliverer. So now a couple hours later, you're sitting you know, at your desk and you're looking through LinkedIn and you see my profile. Your brain releases that oxytocin saying, I know that guy. I like him. He trusted me. And unless I do something to completely screw up the trust relationship we have, you will continually release that molecule in relation to me. And that means that every time you see me or people talk about me, maybe down the road, you're sitting somewhere and someone goes, oh, hey, you know, I I met this guy named Chris Hadnagy. Like, oh, I know him. I met him. He gave me the secret on my show. And you're going to tell this great story about me. These techniques came together in a job Chris was on. Another attempt to get past security, but this time with an angry boss in the mix. This was actually one of my earlier jobs when I was new in the industry. You always get nervous going in, but this time what I would do normally is park pretty far away from the front door. So that way I can walk up to the front door and take some time to kind of catch my breath, get my mental energy ready. As I'm walking up to the front door, this guy in this little Beamer uh, BMW is sitting there and I can see he's kind of frantically talking on his cell phone. As I pass by, I can just hear one statement. He says something like, I don't want to do this today. It's going to hurt a lot of people. Now, I don't know what that meant, but he sounded angry. He sounded upset. So I walk in the front door with the goal of the pretext I was going to have was I have a meeting with HR. I'm late for the meeting. I need to go meet the, the HR lady and just try to get her to buzz me in and let me through so I can you know, hack the company. As I walk in the front door, I can see the gatekeeper's screen and she's playing a video game. Now, this is not part of the pretext at all. I just kind of, for a moment, felt very empathetic for her. And I said, oh man, this guy's outside and he's kind of ticked off. Like if he, and in my head, I'm saying this, like if he walks in and sees her playing a video game, she's going to get yelled at. She's going to be embarrassed in front of me. My pretext isn't going to work. I go through all these thoughts in my head. She turns to me and goes, oh, how can I help you? And I said, look, you don't know me, but 
if your boss he's outside he's upset right now if he walks in and sees a game on your screen he may be really not happy so she leans over clicks the x on the game shuts it off and she turns to me and she goes okay how can i help you and i start telling her my pretext you no know, hr and the boss walks in the front door and he goes beth in my office so she leaves goes in the office and i turn around to look at her and as she's closing the door she mouths to me the words thank you so she doesn't say it but she says it with her lips you know quietly thank you and i thought that's it i'm in i saved her like she's she's appreciative that's reciprocity i gave her a gift she has to return it chris waits for the woman to return to the front desk so beth comes out like 6 7 8 9 minutes later and she's like, oh, you're still here? I said, yeah, nobody came to help me. You know, I, I figured you were coming back. And she's like, well, where were we? And I look at her and I say, you were just buzzing me in because I'm late from my meeting in HR. And she stops and stares at me for like a full five, six seconds. She stares at me. And in her face, I can see her face just saying, that's not right. That's not true. And I'm like, oh, man, don't call me out. Don't call me out. And I kind of just look down at my watch and be like, running late. And she's like, oh, yeah, okay, Yeah, I forgot. I'm sorry. And she hits the buzzer and lets me in. And, you know, we hacked the company. So I remember after that, I said, I'd like to have a report meeting and I'd like Beth to be there. And I asked her, I said, plain out, like, I need to understand like why you know why did you let me in and she goes you saved me from embarrassment and it and i was embarrassed i would have been embarrassed i got yelled at for playing games before but i get so bored and you saved me and i thought this nice guy can't be bad because he's such a nice guy and she let me in because of that these techniques of influence don't just work in the physical world they can also be used to target you online Edwin Fraunstein is a lecturer in the Department of Information Technology at Walter Sisulu University in South Africa. His particular focus is behavioural and social engineering research. Most security literature is focused out that people are the main cause for information security incidents. And so they often cite them as, as being the weakest link. So it's been reported that it's you know far easier to get information directly from people instead of the effort and technical expertise needed to hack information systems. So I'm fascinated by the psychological aspects as well as the particular environments and contexts affecting uh, human behavior. So I think it's necessary to better understand the interplay of these psychological aspects which cause users to behave in a certain way. Like Chris Hadnagy mentioned, Dr. Robert Cialdini is a foundational researcher in this area, and his principles of influence are used by social engineers every day. So let me make an example. If one likes deals, competitions, discounts, or you like to gamble, social engineers could exploit this by creating a message involving a voucher or prize and incorporating a scarcity aspect. And scarcity is one of Cialdini's persuasion principles. So the scarcity aspect is there to create urgency, there's a time pressure, you know, perhaps a voucher or competition could say valid until, you know, the next few days. So it just puts a bit of urgency. If we look at another technique of Cialdini, which is reciprocity, a message could be made to appear helpful and so the user will feel obligated to do something in return. So for example, your friend shares a message warning you that there's a possibility of their Facebook account being hacked. Please share this message to others. So naturally, this human tendency to 
want to help others is also being taken advantage of by the social engineers and the fishers. So the strength of these techniques lies really in the use of these uh, persuasion strategies, you know, and combined with impersonation. Importantly, it's the timing and the opportunity that plays well into the uh, social engineer's hands. And social media is just a playground for these principles to be launched. Edwin says some evidence suggests that our individual personality traits might affect how vulnerable we are to social engineering attempts. So, you know, the widely popular Big Five traits, which some of your subscribers might not know or may know, is uh, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So those are your big five traits. It's, it's widely popular and, and used uh, across many psychological studies and, and information security studies. OCEAN is an acronym for short, if you want to just say OCEAN. You can test your own levels of the big five OCEAN personality traits online. We'll put a link on the All in the Mind website. And you know, each of these traits have their strengths and weaknesses. An individual is open to have the openness trait. Uh, tends to seek new experiences, which makes them more open to risky behavior. You know, it's expected that a conscientious person would be less at risk because they are more cautious and thorough, but they are also trustworthy, which can be taken advantage of. Extrovert enjoys socializing, they're impulsive, so there's also an expectation that they would click on links. The one personality trait that does seem to be protective against a social engineering attack is conscientiousness. All in all, you know, conscientiousness is shown to be the least at risk. So um, as expected, be more thorough and, and cautious. But I think every trait has a vulnerability somewhere, definitely. For example, I came across a study that has even shown the conscientious trait was even vulnerable. What they did was the Fisher uh, gave out a quiz uh, or a spelling error quiz or something like that. And uh, the conscientious person being so thorough and cautious, they wanted to correct the spelling errors on this quiz. It, it, it ended up being a, a phishing uh, attack. But I would say, you know, conscientiousness still remains as the least vulnerable. And, you know, there are many studies that shows extroverts are more at risk. Your extroverts and your openness at that level are more uh, vulnerable to phishing attacks just due to the characteristics that make up that trait. You know, being open to new experiences and wanting to socialize and things like that. And Edwin Fraunstein says it's not just personality that influences our vulnerability. It's also how in the moment you are, what sort of thought process you're in when a phishing attempt arrives. So in terms of cognitive processing, you know, we can process information heuristically or systematically. And if you're processing heuristically, it means that you're using a more efficient a shallower form of processing where we use uh, our limited cognitive resources. We rely on superficial cues and simple decision rules. So the point of heuristic is we kind of scan on a surface level and, and it's necessary because of all the information that we get. We, we can't spend too much time on something. We do tend to uh, read quickly and things like that. So your social media users could be at risk, you know, uh, of information overload because they receive a large uh, a number of messages from their friends or, or those that they follow. So as a result, you know, to reduce this information overload, social medias would typically resort to using a heuristic approach. You know, you can imagine when you go through Facebook, for example, you'll be just scrolling through a timeline and looking at whatever catches your eye. That's very interesting to read. On the other hand, systematic processing requires more effort, also motivation, because it's analytically orientated. So in this mode, 
you would scrutinize a message or compare and relate different arguments and you know uh, which is quite a bit of an effort so ideally you know systematic processing would be the preferred method of choice when users are presented with persuasive stimuli or phishing or social engineering on both email and social media however you know like as mentioned it would require more time and effort and cognitive resources to make a judgment Chris Hadnagy says some social engineers will actively try to push someone into a heuristic mode of processing so they can better attack or exploit the target. But there are steps you can take to protect yourself. Part of the the aspects of malicious influence is uh, when we feel emotional, our brains shut down logic centers, and then we tend to make decisions based on emotion. So... Uh, This is easier said than done, but this is the answer, is that whenever we get a request for something, whether it's email, phone, in person, and it raises our emotional level, we feel angry, sad, happy, whatever, lustful about it, it's a good time for us to pause, take a break before the decision is made. That small pause and allowing you to critically think through it could help you to not be a victim of malicious influence or manipulation. The COVID-19 pandemic has heightened that fear environment, though, making it trickier to process things systematically. Any type of emotional feelings will shut down critical thinking. So now think about the last two years. Uh, People have had to work from home. Maybe they didn't have a huge home before, and now they have mom, dad, and both kids all needing to find places to do school and work at home. We've had the quarantine, which means that we're not seeing our friends and family. The same four walls can get very tiring and get depressing. You're reading the news, which is just filled with stories of people dying of COVID, ransomware, ruining another huge thing, terrorist attacks, whatever it is. All of this inundates our minds with negative emotions and it creates stress. And now you put on top of that that you are lacking sleep. And we lack sleep because we get ourselves stressed, we work more because we're working from home and that environment creates a higher stress level in our brains. And lack of sleep, higher stress with all those other emotions, it's the, I hate to say it, perfect storm for us to make horrible decisions. So the world scene right now with the pandemic is definitely poised for bad decision-making because it does shut down people's ability to be critical in their thoughts. And though some of these techniques may be used maliciously by bad actors, Chris Hadnagy has been foundational in setting up a code of ethics for people in his industry, social engineers who have legitimate uses for these methods. What, what hit me was your intention is what makes the difference. And if I'm using this because I want to be a better communicator, my intention is saying, I'm going to use these skills in order to help others and to help myself, but to help others in communicating the best way I can. And that's important. But now if I say, I'm going to use these skills just to get what I want, and it doesn't matter how you feel about it. So I want to get something from you, James, and I'm going to get it. And I don't care about the results at the end. So if you're hurt, sad, depressed, but I got what I want, that doesn't matter. That's malicious use of it. And that's kind of like where I draw the line is that from a a personal standpoint, if you're going to use these things in everyday life, 
um, the ends don't justify the means. Now, from a professional standpoint, if you're using this as a career, uh, you still have to think through like, yes, you have to be an adversarial simulator, right? That is what I call myself, which means I have to simulate what the adversaries do. But the adversaries do a lot of bad things. You know, adversaries will kidnap your kids and torture them. Adversaries will steal your nude photos and humiliate you. Do I have to do all of those things to simulate an adversary? I hope not, right? Because that's well beyond my morals and ethics. That's Chris Hadnagy, author of Human Hacking, Win Friends, Influence People, and Leave Them Better Off for Having Met You. And before him, you heard from Edwin Fraunstein, a lecturer in the Department of Information Technology at Walter Sisulu University, South Africa. This episode from producer James Bullen. Our sound engineer was Jerome Komisari. I'm Sana Kadar. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.